I'm Steve Denise and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing and everything in between. All right, Ash, so you've been reading something a little bit different this time than normal. Why don't you tell everyone what you've been reading? I have. So I have been reading James Acaster's Classic Scrapes by James Acaster. (laughs) And I also paired this with a podcast episode, well, two podcast episodes of uh, Stuart Goldsmith's Comedians Comedians podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, episodes 232 and 232A. So before I start, I want to give that credit because I got a lot of information for this episode from that podcast. Awesome. Um, because it interviewed James Acaster. So a little bit of background information on James Acaster for those who don't know who he is, although he does have that very successful Netflix special out at the moment. So I think a lot of people are a lot more aware of him right now. But um, James Acaster is a comedian from Kettering in England. And he has a very, he's kind of like this, like his persona is this angry guy who thinks he's really smart but is really dumb and makes lots of like observations and stuff and tells stupid stories and um but it's this really clever intelligent comedy that um when you break it down the story that you're told has been woven so cleverly that it sort of comes back like circles back on itself so that's who James Acaster is now James Acaster um used to be a guest on Josh Whittacombe's radio show uh, in the UK. So Josh Whittacombe's another British comedian. And every week he used to phone in Josh Whittacombe's radio show about these scrapes he'd gotten himself into at some point in his life. So Josh Whittacombe started calling them classic scrapes. So basically James Acaster throughout his life has done a lot of stupid things simply (laughs) by jumping into a situation without thought. So, for example, there's a situation in the book where, and also I've seen it on an episode of Would I Lie to You, where he gets caught out where there's like no more trains home and he doesn't have money for a taxi fare or anything like that. His ride home fell through and he had a red dress with him for a show he was putting on. So instead of like going back to the pub where he'd done a gig or he had knew someone who lived nearby instead of going to their place, he just went and slept in a bush and he says like it was an embarrassingly short amount of time to decide I'm going to sleep in this bush and then because he was cold he put the red dress on and it was like a really rough part of England and um, some thugs came past and it was like a really scary thing for him so this book is full of things James Acaster scrapes James Acaster has got himself into through not thinking things through first making on the fly decisions uh, it's roughly chronological, so it starts from ch- childhood up until like today, I guess. Uh, but it's not an autobiography in the sense you don't learn much about James A. Castor, just some events that happened to him. So that's the basic premise of the book. Uh, but as I as I sort of said before, James A. Castor is a very intelligent person. His comedy is very intelligent. Uh, he's very he's renowned as being one of the hardest working comedians in the industry, and he's a really clever writer. So I wanted to look at this book from a writer's perspective to see what I learned from James A. Castor as a writer. Yeah, because it's interesting because it's a very different book to maybe we do tend to do more fictional mm, works mm. and this one's um, more of a, I guess, almost biopic. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. And I, But I think the thing that 
people don't think about with comedians is that comedians are storytellers. Mm. They're writers as well. It's just a different medium. And I think writers can learn a lot from comedians about the way comedians develop their routines because they get to edit as they go, which is kind of... I'm a little bit jealous of once my books are out there, that's it. I can't change it. So, whereas they can change it. So yeah, I feel like there's a lot of things that I can be like and learn from this book. So I've come up with five lessons from this book. Five lessons from James A. Caster's Classic Scrapes by James A. Also from (laughs) listening to the Comedian's Comedian podcast, Mm -hmm. which I highly recommend writers listen to. It's a British podcast where there's lots of famous British comedians go on and talk about their writing process. So yeah. there's a really great one I listened to with Paul Foote as well that I learned a lot of lot from. So it's kind of my, if I've got half an hour to an hour to spare, I'll put it on. And, the Comedian's Comedian? Yeah, with Stuart on, Goldsmith. I'll put a link to it in the uh, show notes. Yeah, yeah. It's part of my uh, writing tip for the day, so we awesome. can talk about okay. it later. Sounds anyway, good. so tips. We're saying tips. So the first tip for today, so first lesson from this book is um, that because of the nature of calling into a radio show once a week and talking to his mate about some a situation he got himself into, he was his friends were asking him questions like, why did you do that? Why would you make that decision? And that gave him... Uh, a way of fleshing out his stories because he's got he's got to give his friends more information. And so this is something that I think writers should do. If they've got a story idea, if they've got someone they can tell that story idea to to help flesh out ideas, I know this is something I do with you where you and I will just have like a quiet moment and I'll tell you something from my story and you'll be like, Ash, that's got to go in the book. Like readers need to know this thing. Why have you developed all this backstory and you haven't put any of it into the book? So I think talking to somebody to flesh out your ideas is really important, getting that different perspective. I think definitely bouncing things off people gives Mm. you like a different thought process. Even just explaining something to someone makes you join dots you wouldn't otherwise join. Yes, definitely. And it's helped me absolutely in the past mm. figure out motives of characters. Mm. Like why would a character do this thing? And that's how I figured out my character Michael was not a bad guy, was through talking to you and going, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't fit for him to be the bad guy. Yeah, so, definitely. yeah, that first lesson is talk to your mates, talk to someone you can trust to just help flesh out that idea. Or if you're you're stuck on a scene, talk to someone and you may – get that get that out if you don't have someone to talk to talk to your cat talk to your dog even just voicing it will help you figure things out so that was my first lesson my second lesson um, that I got from James Acaster uh, particularly from listening to the podcast is it took Acaster a really long time to find his voice what works for him so before he did comedy he said because he was a drummer he was in a lot of bands he kind of thought he was perceived as like a really cool guy and then when he did comedy he realized people viewed him as quite nerdy and he really admired comedians like Ross Noble. So I've actually looked up some of his previous, like really early gigs on YouTube and you can see he's trying to emulate Ross Noble and the crowd just didn't go for it. Like they didn't respond well to him being this like, hi, how are you all? I'm really good. I'm really happy. It's been a good day. The crowd just didn't go for that because that doesn't suit him. That voice isn't 
his voice. It's mm. Ross Noble's voice. So once he started being more cranky, more like that, you know, that scowling face and sort of, I hate it with all my heart, I hate it. As soon as he started doing that, people started responding to him a lot better. So for the lesson for writers is to identify your voice and have your own unique voice when you're writing. Don't be J.K. Rowling. Don't be George R.R. Be yourself. I know I've told you this story before, but there's mm. like a same thing in acting where in LA they have an acting coach that makes groups of young aspiring actors go to an airport with a list with a bunch of adjectives written on a bit of paper, mm. and one of the one of the people stands there looking kind of neutral, while their friend goes around and gives people the bit of paper and says, "Circle the first words that come to your head for this mm. complete stranger you've never seen before." And you do ten, you do a hundred, and it's always the same patterns emerge. Yeah, so people yeah. perceive you without you doing anything. There's certain things you are perceived as, mm. and for actors, the lesson in that is to try to get roles that suit what they come across as initially. Yeah. Into that. So, you know, there was a dude that was saying, they were saying there was a guy who kept getting like scary and intimidating and stuff like that and all these sort of threatening sort of menacing things. And he was like, I don't, how am I that? But he started <laughs> going into like bodybuilding and getting fit and then doing all these like action roles and stuff ah, like that. Oh, that's really cool. Like villains in like horror movies and things like oh, that. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think for James Acaster, he had to go on stage to figure out how – People viewed him. It's essentially the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think for a writer, you've got to write. Mm-hmm. You've got to write to see how people perceive that writing. I actually thought my writing was funny until people were reading it and not laughing. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm not a humorous writer. Yeah, that's you to, fine. You need to and find your authenticity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm okay with not being perceived as being a funny writer because that's just not my voice. And so I've found out what my voice is and I, I work with that. So. And I've had lots of parents buy my books recently because I use really good adjectives and things <laughs> and they, they want to increase their children's reading skills. So it's working for me to write with my voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, the lesson from that writers is to write and then that you'll find your voice. And, I mean, in this book, Classic Scrapes, Acaster's voice is so prominent. It's almost like its own character. Like he never deviates from that character voice. And now that I've heard him in a few different podcasts, I know it really is a persona or a character that he's doing. He's he's doing his voice, not himself. Yeah. So yeah, really, really important. So that was the second lesson is to identify your voice. Okay. So my third lesson um, was, which actually I got from the podcast again, the uh, Comedians Comedian podcast. Maybe I should have just listened to that <laughs> instead of reading the book. That's how I came across the book though, because they talked about it on the podcast. Um, so the third lesson was that James A. Castor wasn't enjoying writing. He wasn't enjoying writing his sets. And he said that every time I forced myself to write something, I'm not happy with how it's turned out. So the lesson I took from this is to don't force your writing. So run with the things you are most enthusiastic about. And I've, I think in a previous podcast, I gave that advice that if you're stuck, if you've got writer's block, go back to the last time you were really excited and figure out from there where you went wrong. It's kind of a bit like that, that, uh, write what you know, write, write your passion. Yeah. Write yeah. what you're passionate about. And he made a really good point. So I'll quote what he said. He said, as a kid, I did creative things for fun. And you know, like, as an adult, you very few adults paint a picture because it was fun. They don't, don't do creative things just for the fun of it. So he said that he does comedy. So he said, I do this job because I always enjoyed creative things. Yeah, so nice. when he was forcing and it became work, 
he wasn't loving it. Mm. So for me, I found myself in a situation lately where I accepted a big promotion at work and I'm working a lot more hours and it's really crazy and hectic. But because I love writing so much, I'm so passionate about it, I'm actually finding I'm writing more not less. So, um, yeah, I think it really is. You need to go where your passions are and where your enthusiasm is. I think if I was writing for money or for a set thing, I don't think I'd be as motivated to keep doing it as I am now. I'm the same. I mean, I recently had a month off from work to get caught up on some projects and stuff. And it's interesting. At first I was really productive, but towards the end of it, I mean, it kind of impaired with redemption <laughs> coming out. Yeah. You, you spend a lot of time playing <laughs> that game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you sort of like, if you have too much time, it's almost like you don't use it as well. Whereas when you've only got really limited amounts of time, you leverage them more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, um, like, you know, having a deadline suddenly, mm. you know, the la- it's a couple, last couple of days before that deadline, you really get to work. I think it's similar sort of thing. <laughs> um, I also have a thing here that says important to note, but I don't think it's linked with my third lesson. So I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote this, but it says it takes a lot of intuition to figure out what isn't working. So keep tinkering with your work until it works and have trial and error. Um, so James Acaster found, you know, I said he wasn't enjoying writing because yep. he was trying to write what other people found, found funny. So I think what I was trying to say here is that instead of writing what you think other people will find funny, he started writing what he found funny. Mm-hmm. And then um, he found that was a lot more enjoyable. And then you could have that intuition for what wasn't working because he didn't find it funny. So the audience wouldn't find it funny. Um, So I guess to trust your gut instincts when you're writing. And that comes back down to reading a lot. The more you read, the easier writing is. The more Mm. you have a sense of how a a book should flow and how it should look. I suppose Um, too, like you are your audience in a lot of ways. Well, I am. I write for me. I don't care about anyone else. (laughs) That's not true, but I do. I am my first order of business when I'm thinking about my audience. <laughs> I write what I want to read. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the fourth lesson is actually, I really think these are all just from the podcast. <laughs> um, the fourth lesson is that he learned to view everything as a work in progress instead of a finished piece. So what James Acaster was doing was that he'd go to these festivals like the Edinburgh Festival, which is a big deal for comedians in the United Kingdom, and he wouldn't change any of his set just in case he screwed it up and that was the night that a critic cr- – Critic? A critic. That was the night a critic was in. So – Um, And he wasn't enjoying it. He wasn't doing well. He was keeping in bad, bad sets just because he'd written them. And so he was too scared to change bad things because he didn't know what he would have next to replace it. We talked about that in a recent episode about the idea of you need to cut things out. I think it was the Little Mm. Prince episode. And it can be hard to throw away something you spend a lot of energy on, but it's so important. And the process of writing it helps you so much anyway that it's not wasted time, but it it doesn't feel like that at the time when you're getting rid of it. So, yeah, so James Acaster learned to stop being scared of what the critics would say because that was making him play it safe. And so instead experiment, throw things away that aren't working, and then his writing was so much better. And he he quoted um, Josie Long, who's uh, another comedian, and she actually – her advice to him before he was well known was to experiment as much as you can, especially before your name is known. Mm. And I think this is a really good lesson for writers that they want to be perfect now 
But who cares how terrible you are? No one knows who you are. You can, that's the best time to be experimenting and making mistakes and creating drivel and learning from it. Yeah, exactly. Moving forward as much as you can before mm. it becomes hard to do that. Yeah, yeah I before agree. you become known. I mean, how hard was it for J.K. Rowling to write anything other than yeah. Harry Potter? Yeah, to have to um, change your, your identity just to release yeah, a book. exactly. So she, you know, needed, because she released Casual Vacancy under J.K. Rowling and the criticism from people was that, well, it's not Harry Potter. Mm. I can't read that. It's dark. It's um, grim. Why would she think I would want that? And so she then wrote under Robert Galbraith. And even though people know it's J.K. Rowling, they accept it so much better. It like switches your brain almost. It's yeah, weird. exactly. Yeah. So I think that's really good advice from Josie Long that, you know, play around with it, make mistakes before you're well-known. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is quite optimistic that you'll become well-known, I guess. Um, and the, the fifth lesson is that uh, he found that writing this book actually laid everything out really nicely so he could identify patterns you wouldn't otherwise notice. And also he had opportunities for callbacks to previous jokes he wouldn't have been able to work out otherwise. And so there's a huge lesson in writers there and get that first draft written. Once it's there, once it's down, you can start to see the patterns. You can weave in backstory. You can um, set up little uh, Easter eggs so you can have readers. Um, you know, my brother, he's always like, oh, you, you like set that up really cleverly and how did you do that? And like, you know, like I do a first draft, right? And then I go, okay, Rochea needs this thing. I'm going to go way back here and I'm going to give her this skill or I'm going to give her this item. And like it's easy to do it once it's down on the paper. Especially with, with the first two books because you got to write the second book and then rewrite the first book. Yeah, There's yeah. A lot more information, which really helped. It helped a lot mm. having that opportunity to rewrite that. So, so a tip. If you're writing a first trilogy – Write up to the second book before you publish the first book. If you've got it, I would actually say, like, write the whole series if you can. Um, <laughs> that might be pushing it. <laughs> well, yeah, might be pushing it a bit. But I mean, if no one's expecting the books, mm, why not? Mm, mm. Um, and then as far as themes, James A. Castor did this, you know, his Netflix special. I thought it might be interesting just if anyone who's like, oh, James A. Castor, I've watched, just watched his Netflix. Um, if you did watch the Netflix special, he does this whole routine about being an undercover cop. And basically he just wanted to write about being an undercover cop because he thought that would be funny. And then the themes came out later. So he actually tends to write his routines and then it's only later he's like, oh, that's because of a dark period in my life. So the undercover cop thing that he had was because his girlfriend broke up with him because he didn't know who he was anymore. And so he wrote this whole routine about being too deep undercover and he didn't know who he was anymore. And so his wife left him and he didn't see that until ages later. Um, so yeah, sometimes with the themes, you just have something you want to write about, a thing that don't stress about the themes. Like I know in English or literature class in school, the teachers always get you to pick out the themes and find what the themes is, the themes are, but don't think you have to start with the themes. They'll come. They'll find their way through because it things you're passionate about, things that are on your mind will find their way through the writing. I don't think I had any themes in my, in mind with Rochea. I'd like to know what an English teacher would pick out and tell kids what the <laughs> themes are. I always have thought I always thought that the whole time I was in school, I was particularly doing lit and stuff when the teacher would like 
extract all this meaning from the story. And part of me would wonder sometimes, is that really what the author was thinking? I don't think they had that much intent sometimes. <laughs> Maybe the, the author really did just want to tell a story about a, a hobbit going on a journey. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um and so, yeah, anyway, the, I, I feel like I've talked a lot about this book and big shout out to Comedians Comedian Podcast. And there were a few others that I was listening to as well. Um, the thing that I really sort of took away from this book is that James Acaster's voice is just so clear and it's so unique. Like he's a writer. This is this here is a writer who really knows who he is and how to get the most out of his voice. Yeah. Every story he writes in this book fits his voice to a T and um, he's never out of character ever. So there really is um, something you can really learn a lot about voice from this book. And he never actually, he's never personal, but you still got like, it's, you. Ne- he doesn't tell you anything personal about his life at all. But you still feel connected with him. You feel connected with him anyways. And that's such a clever, yeah. clever thing to be able to do. So yeah, I do recommend this book and there's heaps that you can get from it. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll definitely put links up to the uh, podcast as well as the book. So yes. you can be sure to check it out and give it a listen. Probably more lessons to be learned. In the- oh, there's there's so many other po- like episodes I could have talked about, but those comedians didn't happen to have a book I could link it with. So speaking about getting personal, Ash, it's enough for you to share everyone else's tips, but maybe let's get some of your tips. What have you been listening to? What have you been doing? What makes you think I've been listening? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about what are some of the good writing websites and podcasts and things like that, that I use as part of my training as Mm -hmm. a writer. So obviously I've been talking about, I'll start with podcasts. That's what I've been talking about today. So again, The Comedian's Comedian um, by Stuart Goldsmith. I highly recommend that. The other one, that author of... um, the helpline, uh, Catherine Collette, who I did that author talk with yeah. at Dimmix Campbell. Um, she actually recommended to me a podcast called Good One by Jesse David That's Fox. Right. So this is where comedians are played a joke from some point in their career and then they break it down and they talk about how they came about to write it. Um, so that was a really really clever podcast. Yeah, it sounds super um, interesting. And then talking of Catherine Collette, she actually has a podcast I highly recommend. It's called The First Time Podcast. And so it's with Catherine Collette and Kate Mildenhall, and they talk about their uh, being a first-time published author. So Kate Mildenhall has been published before, and then she's asking Catherine Collette what this big process is like because her first book's just come out. Yeah. So that's a really great one, and from fellow Australians as well. We should also on podcasts mention again uh, Plot Boilers. Yeah, our good friends over at Plot Boilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Emily Brady. They're doing that's good, a great they're one. doing good stuff too. Definitely yeah. one worth listening to. So that's podcasts, uh, websites, one that I use a lot, which comes from the British magazine that's actually just called Writing Magazine, which I try to buy every one or two months. Um, it's it's writersonline.co.uk. We'll put the link up for that because there's a hyphen in there. Mm. Um, so there's lots of articles, advice, prompts, and other resources on that website. The other one is therightlife.com. Um, we'll put the link up. I won't bother spelling it now. Um, as well as uh, writersdigest.com. And I highly recommend the Writers Digest workbook as well. There's really great writing activities. As far as apps go, the Meetup app, um, again, we'll put a link to it. The Meetup app is a great app for finding <laughs> writers groups. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
So you can find things that are going on in your area that you can come and join in at. Uh, And then we've talked about, do you remember we did a podcast episode about the book Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi? Tomi Adeyemi, yeah. She has on her website, she has a heap of free advice. She also offers paid courses. Uh, I don't know anything about those because I haven't gone that deep into it, but her free she has a free plotting course. So if you're especially beginning to write a novel, go to Tommy Adiemi's website. Fantastic advice there. And then um, betternovelproject.com as well. I'm constantly hearing people recommend that one. So go to that website as well. And that was that was it. That's all I wanted to talk awesome. about. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into accountability for you, Ash. Mm-hmm. Where are you at? Um, so I actually have rewritten chapter three of book three of the Rochea series. I think I mentioned last episode I'd started on it, but now I've actually finished it. But it is only by hand. I've started a new job and I'm struggling to get to a computer, but I don't want to not work. So I'm rewriting by hand this time, which is good. It's slowing me down and making me be a bit more careful. Um, But yeah, it's handwritten. It's there. I just need to have the time to type it. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, and let's give people a writing prompt. Uh, really quick one. Describe three smells or scents that you really love. Three smells or scents that mm. you really love. Could be nostalgic. Could be. I, I want to leave it open. Romantic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything, Ash. Did you have anything else to talk about? always, but that's okay. It can wait till next time. It can wait till the next episode. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say hello to my lovely editor, Kat Betts, because I know she's been listening. So hi, Kat. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Kat. From Element Editing Services. Look her up. I highly recommend her. She does a great job on Ash's books. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, our website is bookstashpodcast.com. And you can find us on social media, whether Bookstashcast or one word on Instagram and Twitter. And you can look for The Bookstash on Facebook. And until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon.